Alright folks, welcome in to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook Sports. I'm your host Ryan Blackburn at NBA Blackburn on Twitter, part of the Mile High Sports Podcast Network, and I'm excited to chat about the most important thing you're going to hear the entire rest of your week, uh, top point guards in the NBA, because I know that this is this is a life-changing content that everybody is uh, is hoping for. No, I mean, I'm I'm being sarcastic here for obvious reasons. I know that everybody does their rankings. Everybody does their their content stuff where they're just trying to pull the views. I'm, I'm trying to tie this into Jamal Murray specifically and the leap that he's taking and where he's kind of seen around the league and where I kind of see where he fits in around the league. Uh, and I'm one of the biggest Jamal Murray fans out there. So... I hope that everybody's having a great day, and I hope that you enjoy. So sit back, relax, and let's get on with the show. Uh, now, uh, sorry, just uh, waiting to see why this hasn't refreshed at all. Uh, yeah, broad broadcast looks a little bit funny on the um, YouTube side, but... I am live. I, I am live for sure, trying to figure out what the heck's going on over here. Um, all right, well, we're just going to continue like it hasn't even happened. Uh, the criteria that I'm using for this part, and by the way, if you, you see on the panel, that's over there. Uh, also, we'll be covering ESPN's NBA coverage and things like that. Nikola Jokic's most underrated skill. Wrote about that earlier today and would like to certainly comment on that going forward. Uh, but yeah, let's talk about what uh, the criteria is for this particular podcast. I am very curious as to what people actually want in a point guard now, because it's changing. It really is ever changing. Nobody's really firmly understanding what a point guard does. Now that because players like Nikola Jokic exist, LeBron James, Luka Doncic, none of those guys are ranked on these particular point guard rankings for me. Uh, so mostly what I am doing is I'm going to comment on players that guard point guards, players that are point guard sized, players that uh, mostly fit into the terms of that position. Like Jamal Murray, for the most part, is going to be guarding point guard sized players. And so that is what I'm ultimately grading him against. And that's ultimately what I'm grading the entire league against. Uh, so as opposed to Luka Doncic being the Dallas Mavericks point guard, Kyrie Irving is the Dallas Mavericks point guard for me. And the other criteria that I want to talk about, uh, just this thing that's scrolling on the bottom of the screen here, it is the player in my mind that generates the most positive impact for their team in the regular season in the playoffs. And what I mean by that is you can do a variety of things. You can do, uh, you could be a scorer, you could be a passer, you could be a defender, you could be a rebounder, you can be a connector, you could be an outside shooter, you could be a driver. There's, there's a lot of things that point guards can do. There's a lot of skill sets in the NBA. So it's hard to grade those against each other. So what I'm going to try to do is just amass it into who I think impacts the game positively for their team the most. And we'll just go from there. Uh, so without further ado, let's do positive impact and which players in the NBA 
at this current point in time generate the most positive impact for their team in a both a regular season and a playoff context? We can start with Stephen Curry, who is obviously fantastic. Like Steph Curry is great, and I don't think anybody is really going to argue with me about this one. Um, I think that Steph is continue to prove and, and will continue to prove just how great he is uh, until he's about 40 years old. He's one of those players that I expect will continue to push for uh, regular season and postseason dominance, despite the fact that he's not perfect. Like n- Nobody's perfect on this list, and Steph has weaknesses in his game. He's not the most accurate passer, although he's gotten better at that as the years have worn on. And he's not the best defender for his position. He's one of those players that also gets hunted out uh, when it comes to um, when it comes to actually playing in the regular season and things of that. Uh, not just not just regular season, but like a playoff context. That's sorry, I'm a little bit distracted trying to figure out what's going on with this pod. Um, trying to figure out what um, a guy like LeBron James does, where he hunts out a player like Stephen Curry and Steph can't really do anything about it because he's smaller. Like it's just, it's just is what it is. But Steph has done a great job throughout his career of minimizing that. And the offensive value that he just puts out there is it's massive. Like the amount of threes that he's put up. It's funny. Jamal Murray led the NBA in made threes in the playoffs this year. He had 59 made threes. He wasn't his most efficient, but he I think shot about 39%. And was really, really good. Stephen Curry made two fewer threes in two fewer rounds of, of play. <laughs> That's because he's getting them up there. He finds and hunts his own shot mercilessly and does such a great job of creating opportunities for himself and others uh, that he deserves this number one spot. He's in a tier by himself, in my opinion, and deserves this list and, and has been at the top of the point guard list for, I don't know, basically ever since he became an MVP candidate, like back in 2015, nobody else has challenged him ever, ever. And Luka Doncic has challenged him at various points when he is the primary point guard for his team. But now that I've moved Luka, I'll probably move him to like small forwards or something like that. Cause that's primarily the position that he guards. Um, Going to be fascinating to see, whether anybody challenges Steph Curry over the course of these next few years. Number two, Damian Lillard. Damian Lillard of the uh, Miami-Portland mix right there. We're not really sure when that's ultimately going to happen. It is going to happen. Like He's going to go to Miami. That's how these things work. But he deserves to be at this point of the list as well, although he's not in a separate tier by himself. He is not in the same tier as Steph Curry. He is not in a tier by himself above the rest of these names. He is really, really good. He is sometimes great, but he is not infallible. And unlike Steph, Dame has actually proven to be a very damaging defender. He is not big enough and not strong enough and not connected enough on a consistent basis to actually impact his team in a positive way defensively. He has never done it. And so much of that is because he's being asked to do so much offensively, but that's also by design. It's why he averages 
31 points per game or however many he averages. It's why he has such crazy numbers that he does. Um, Damian Lillard is a great, great player and deserves to be number two, but he's also flawed. And he's also one of those guys that I kind of expect to fall off a little bit. I would expect him to drop off for sure. And as that continues to happen, I'm curious to see who steps up. I see two names on the list right now that are actually, well, there are several names, a bunch of young guys that are, are capable of stepping up and filling that mantle left by Damian Lillard when he ultimately does kind of drop off a little bit. But he also does have a game that should age reasonably well. And if he does get traded to Miami, he's not going to have as much offensive responsibility as he did in Portland. So maybe he does play better. We'll just have to see. Number three, Shea Gilgis Alexander. Shea's really, really talented. He's really, really good and was a borderline MVP candidate this past year. Uh, does everything for OKC as a ball handler. He does just run a whole bunch of spread pick and roll. There's not a ton of creativity to his game in terms of um, like the variety of ways that he's attacking the defense. Like he has the ball in his hands pretty much that entire time. He's not really an off-ball player. He is a driver. He is a uh, he crashes the paint. He collapses the defense, and he finishes over the top of smaller defenders. Gets past quicker to uh, gets past bigger defenders. Or he pulls up and, and shoots over the top of everybody. And he does a great job of that. Now, he is not the level of defender that he was assumed that he could be. And part of that is also the same reason why Damian Lillard isn't, is that defense doesn't really pay. And the fact that Shea has become like this level of creator, does like he does absolutely deserve this placement. I do feel that way. He is an all-NBA caliber player. I'd say Damian Lillard is an all-NBA caliber player. And the player after this is an all-NBA caliber player, Trey Young. Trey Young's reputation's kind of in the mud. Um, what's up, Daniel? Thank you. Thank you so much for hopping in. Really appreciate you. Uh, I'm good, man. I'm good. Very busy, but I am good. Um, Trey Young, reputation a little bit in the mud based off of how things have gone over the course of these past few um, past not a few weeks, but really these last couple of years, ever since they made the Easter Conference Finals in 2021 and then were ousted, um, he proved himself in those playoffs. But since has been like he got sunned by the Miami Heat a couple of years ago, and then this past year, he, uh, I mean, they weren't great, and he had some good moments against Boston. Don't get me wrong, but he's also just one player. And the actual numbers that he put up were, meh, they were fine. Let me just actually confirm that that's true. Um, pull up Trey Young's numbers. In the playoffs, he averaged 29. Okay, never mind. He averaged 29 points, 10 assists, 1.7 steals. Only 40% from the field, though, and 33% from three. And that efficiency drop-off is a big deal. He took up a bunch of possessions for an Atlanta team that needed him to take those. But he did hold up as a kind of efficient guy. And like Damian Lillard, he I mean, Trey's probably the worst defender in the NBA. And that's a, that's a problem. That's always going to prevent him from being at the top tier. 
But the actual regular season value that he provides, there's a lot of it. Like he he soaks up a ton of possessions and does a great job and is really, really good as a playmaker for others. Borderline, like, I mean, he is great. He's not quite in that top tier, uh, but I do think that he is an all-NBA caliber guy. Um, so just to review, we've got Steph Curry at the top, Damian Lillard, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, and Trey Young are the next three. And then the next two, I was I was going back and forth between who to rank above who. I ended up going with Ja Morant of Memphis. Ja is like he's been put into a pretty tough situation, both by his own accord and by the injuries that have been very unlucky for him. The style of play that he plays with, he's not been able to finish the playoffs in each of the last two seasons. He's been great in the playoffs when he's been healthy, uh, but I don't think that that's like, I mean, that's still a problem. If you're not going to be healthy for the playoffs, then that has to count against you. Um, Ja is really, really great though. And there's a reason why Memphis has been at the top of the league for the last couple of seasons. Like as Ja has really matured, they've really flourished. And it has coincided with Desmond Bain and Jaron Jackson and guys like that really growing as well. But I do think that Ja deserves a lot of credit for that. Um, He has been an all-NBA MVP fringe candidate for each of the last two years based off of the wins that Memphis has had. He clearly doesn't have that level of impact. And he is a sneaky, horrible defender as well. The only things that really kind of help him out in that regard are the crazy athleticism that he has where he can contest a lot of shots, maybe block some shots as a trailer. Uh, But for the most part, he does a pretty bad job defensively. And he's one of those guards that you have to watch out for and really care for on that end. Uh, He was getting identified just as much as Steph Curry by LeBron James and players of that nature. And LeBron was just fine. So was Austin Reeves, which that shouldn't feel good for anybody. Uh, but I think John Morant is still an all-NBA caliber player as well. I do think that he deserves to be in that spot. Um, but yeah, I think number six is pretty self-evident. Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray is my guy. Jamal Murray, I, I love what he's done for this Nuggets team for obvious reasons. Nuggets fans know how like how much I have really, really appreciated that as well. And Jamal deserves to be vaulted up this list based off of the playoffs that he just had. I mean, a crazy run, an absolutely insane run from Jamal Murray. And he deserves the credit. He just does. Like every single time he's been put on the big stage, he has shown out every single time. And the versatility that he brings, and he's actually a better, like he's probably the best defender of those five that are above him. You got Steph, Dame. Shea, Trey Young, and John Morant. I guess you could argue for Shea, but I wouldn't personally. And you could also argue for Steph, but I wouldn't personally. I think that Jamal is actually a better defender when locked in than both of those guys. And that's a really, really important piece of this. He can do it on both ends of the floor. He can switch on to bigger players and guard. He can keep up with the smaller guys when asked to. 
He's not going to be asked to do it a ton because he's the lead ball handler for a playoff team, which means that you probably have another guard that does most of that stuff, like a KCP, and then Aaron Gordon for the big options. But I do think that Jamal deserves to be in this spot. He probably doesn't deserve to be above the other All-NBA guys. I think he has to prove more during the regular season, and I think he will. On a top 50 list that I was asked to produce for Espandier, uh, as he's uh, Barahini, I I can't remember his last name, sorry. Sorry, as But um, he does great work uh, up in Toronto. He... I had Jamal Murray at 18, and I had Ja just ahead of him, Trey just ahead of him, Shea at like 13, and Damian Lillard at 12, something like that. And Jamal deserves to be in the top 20 now. It's just facts, like the way that he has shown up in every single circumstance that he's needed to. That is a pretty important piece. Um, Villainy, I am not ranking Luka as a point guard because he is playing with Kyrie. And I'm ranking these more by size and the position that they are guarding as opposed to um, as opposed to like who is handling the ball. Because I could just as easily rank Jokic as a point guard. And if I did rank Jokic as a point guard, people would be all up in arms. They'd be like, what, what do we even do now? Uh, so I am ranking Luka as a, I think, a small forward in all likelihood because that's the position that I think he guards the most. Uh, But Kyrie will show up later on this list. But number six is Jamal. Number seven is De'Aaron Fox. And this was one where you kind of go back and forth and are like, hey, I don't really know. (laughs) I don't really know. Those guys are both really, really good. And Jamal, De'Aaron, both Kentucky point guards. They've both shown out and done some great things. Uh, Both played for elite offenses next to other offensive hubs in Nikola Jokic and DeMontis Sabonis. Uh, How do you distinguish what De'Aaron Fox was doing? Versus what Jamal Murray was doing. It's really hard to tell. I would probably say that Fox is the better solo act than Jamal Murray. But I would also say that Sabonis isn't like, and and that's, that's not all that this is. And could Fox also flourish next to Jokic? Yes, just like everybody else. But what Jamal does and how he counteracts what Jokic does, I think he does that better Jamal does than what De'Aaron would do. And so I I have them in the same tier. They're clearly in the same tier, just below that all-NBA tier, but definitely all-star caliber. Uh, Those guys absolutely deserve that credit. Um, I think that... Yeah, I think that De'Aaron's really, really talented. And him showing up the way that he did against Golden State, I know he broke his hand or he broke his thumb. And that really kind of took away from the actual level that he could reach, the actual level that the Kings could reach. But it wasn't really Fox's fault. Fox was great up until that point. Just very, very good. Also very, very good, Tyrese Halliburton, though not in the playoff context. Uh, It is interesting to see De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton ranked next to each other. I didn't do that on purpose. That's That's completely on accident. But... Seeing those guys flourish apart from each other makes a lot of sense. They're both point guards. They both are best with the ball in their hands. They both can share the floor with another creator, but they're definitely best when they are the main decision maker. They both couldn't be the main decision maker next to each other. Uh, And Halliburton really showed up as a great, great leader 
for Indiana. Really impressed with them. He is one of the best passers in the NBA and one of the best decision makers in the NBA. He's got a great assist to turnover ratio. He shoots the ball well off the dribble. He's not like this elite scorer off the dribble, and that's still something that he has to figure out. But that's not the most important part of being a point guard in my mind. It's just about getting the ball moving and making sure that everybody is involved. And I think that Halliburton does a great, great job with that. Um, so much so that I have him ranked here above a couple of other very, very high-profile people. Um, I love it. I think that Halliburton's really, really good. And uh, I've talked to Tony East of um, SI for Indiana, or covering the Pacers, and he's very, very high on Halliburton as well. I think they, like Jokic and Halliburton, actually compare pretty favorably in terms of their style, in terms of what they do, and how they keep everybody involved and how they're very cerebral. So Halliburton's not Jokic, obviously, but I mean, he's really, really good. He was just in his second season. <laughs> like, uh, it's kind of crazy to think about. Maybe, was it his second season? Let me just confirm that real quick. I, I thought it was. Maybe it's his third, but I use Halliburton. Oh, it is his third season. Okay, he was rookie in Sacramento, second year split between the two, and then third year with Indiana. But he was an all-star in his third year and averaged 20, 10, and 4. Like, really, really good stuff. All right, let's get to Drew Holiday, who kind of the bifurcation, I think, between the true all-star talents and just like really, really, really good point guards. Uh, Drew Holiday is one of those guys. I mean, you know what? Never mind. I, the all-star tier for this is really, really high. Like, all of these guys are great. All of these guys are are pretty, pretty awesome. Um, and Drew Holiday is no exception. He's somebody that would have really loved to have in Denver next to Jamal Murray. Uh, but Holiday's playmaking is very important. And his defense is definitely the best defender on this list. Uh, that is a very, very important piece of this. Now, did he get sunned by Jimmy Butler? Yeah. <laughs> that was one of the big reasons why they lost. Milwaukee did. That's one of the big reasons why Milwaukee lost. They could not stop Jimmy Butler. They could not stop Miami. And Holiday couldn't stop him either. Um, that's obviously not like just Holiday's fault. But it does show a little bit of age and does show a little bit of regression. And Holiday's offense, when you just think of it by itself, not the greatest, not the greatest offensive player. He makes some weird decisions, though he is a good off the dribble scorer in general and good off the dribble passer. Like he can do a lot of different things and has a good chemistry with Giannis. But I just think that it's fair to have him at this tier. Like he doesn't like, I think any team would be dumb if they had Drew Holiday and took him over a guy like Jamal Murray. At this point, because you can do so much more with Jamal and have him as your like, if you have Jamal as your second best player, as opposed to Drew Holiday, you saw what happened in Milwaukee when Chris Middleton couldn't really do what he needed to do. I think when Drew Holiday became the primary decision maker, things kind of fell apart. And number 10, Jalen Brunson. Um, could argue that Jalen Brunson deserves to be higher on this list, given what he did in both the regular season and the playoffs. I think that he's like a traditional 
point guard who makes a lot of the decisions for his team, and, and he's so small that he's going to get bullied at times on the defensive end. But he's not horrible as a defender. Like He can at least put up a fight. He's strong. He's pretty cerebral. He understands where the ball's generally going and can do a pretty good job of stopping people most of the time when they try to attack him. But where he really makes his bread is as a lead decision maker, setting up the rest of his teammates. I didn't like how much he tried to hunt for fouls, how much he was trying to BS his way in that New York-Miami series where he's just trying anything that he possibly can to keep the team in it. I get that you're competitive. I get that you just want to win. But it was very Chris Paul-esque. And I think there's some of that stuff that's just not going to work at the playoff level that he's going to have to think about. Now, him going up against the Cleveland Cavaliers was a little bit different than going up against the Miami Heat. Uh, He took advantage of the Cavs and played extremely well in the playoffs. Deserves a ton of credit for how he operated. Um, But I also do think that we'll we'll see what happens going forward. Like (laughs) him averaging 24 points after averaging 16 this last year in in Dallas. uh, He might be that. Like he, he might. 49, 41, 83 splits. 24 points, six assists per game. Uh, Efficiency dropped a little bit in the playoffs, but not a ton. So maybe he just is that. Uh, But that is really the first time that he's at that level. So we're going to see. We're going to see what it looks like with him. But I am very curious to see what happens. Um, Yeah, that's my 10. That's my 10. Other players that I think you could really factor into this, Kyrie Irving, Lamella Ball, Bradley Beal as a point guard, Darius Garland, Fred Van Vliet. But I think the major takeaway here, and there's a reason why I didn't have Kyrie up at the top, because he's just not very reliable from game to game. Um, his ceiling is probably higher than some of the guys that, that are ahead of him, but I just don't really care. Bradley Beal, same thing. Ceiling is probably a little bit higher than some of the guys ahead of him, but um, I think of Jamal as a player that has actually like shown out in the playoffs and, and really deserves to be at that place right now. And Bradley Beal's got to kind of make that up. Lamella Ball hasn't really gotten to that level. Darius Garland, first playoff run, first couple of playoff runs, hasn't been great. Um, and then Fred Van Vliet's dropped off a little bit. He was aided a little bit by Yaka Pertl this last year, but I do think that he could absolutely fall off again in Houston or at least take on a, a much lesser role to the point where he's – seeding touches to Jalen Green pretty consistently. So we will see what it ultimately looks like, but that's my 11 to 15. And I think obviously Fred Van Vliet was, um, he was number 50 on my top 50 list. So what you're looking at here is 15 point guards in the top 50 players. That might be wrong. That might be incorrect. And maybe I'm overrating the point guard position if that's the case. But I thought that was very interesting. Very, very interesting to think about uh, because there are so many guys that you could name here and absolutely deserve. So going over the list once more, number one, Steph Curry. Number two, Damian Lillard. Number three, Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Number four, Trey Young. Number five, Jamal Murray. Or uh, John Morant, excuse me. Six, Jamal Murray. Seven, De'Aaron Fox. Eight, Tyrese Halliburton. Nine, Drew Holiday. And ten, Jalen Brunson. 
followed up by, in some combination, Kyrie Irving, Bradley Beal, LaMelo Ball, Darius Garland, and Fred Van Vliet. Okay, that's my list. Um, Everybody, I hope you enjoy that. Uh, When we come back, I do want to hit on a couple of quick hitters. ESPN's NBA coverage is taking a bit of a change here. And then Nikola Jokic's most underrated skill. I would like to talk about that as well. Uh, But first, everybody, this podcast, as you know, is brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook Sports. You hear that? That's the sound of football coming back. And now is the best time to place your preseason bets with Superbook Sports. Superbook is the most trusted name in Vegas. And now you can use promo code MILEHIGH to score up to $250 with their first bet bonus. Win or lose, they will match your first bet up to $250 with promo code MILEHIGH. All you got to do is download that Superbook Sports app. Don't miss out on this football season. Win some money with Superbook Sports and the promo code MILEHIGH. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. and roll. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the support. Make sure to like and subscribe to the YouTube channel if you possibly can. Uh, we are continuing to grow. All right, let's go back here. Uh, one of the uh, sports broadcasting guys who does uh, sports business journal stuff, uh, broadcasting news, things of that nature, Andrew Marchand. I'm pretty sure he is also doing stuff for The Athletic, but that might be Richard Deitch. Um, Those guys, they like to cover what's going on with the announcers and what's going on with media. And Mike Breen, Doris Burke, and Doc Rivers are now going to be the top duo, according to Marshand, of hosting ESPN and ABC games. And I thought that that was very, very interesting. Uh, I love Mike Breen, and I have a personal relationship with Doris Burke, actually. I, I was able to... Uh, first of all, she shouted me out on Twitter, uh, unbeknownst to me, and she shouted me out multiple times on the low post, which was very, very cool. Uh, but more than that, I, I was able to talk to her in Miami for uh, before game four of the NBA finals. And she saw me sitting courtside and came over and was, we, we exchanged pleasantries and, and chatted for 10 minutes or so. And that was so nice of her. She did not have to do that. And it's the first time that anybody from ESPN and from like the, the worldwide leader, has actually acknowledged my presence, which is sort of nice. That's that's a very, very cool thing. Um, I think that Mike Breen and Doris Burke will be great, and I actually think that Doc Rivers will be great. Obviously, Jeff Van Gundy is out. Mark Jackson is out. Uh, Jeff Van Gundy was let go based off the ESPN layoffs. And Mark Jackson, I think, was the the latest one to be let go. That's interesting to me, but I do think that Doc Rivers will be really, really good. If you've listened to the Bill Simmons podcast before, I listened to the episode that had Doc Rivers on it. And Doc told a lot of great stories. It was very interesting. He was very cerebral. And he's got a a little bit of a rough voice, but I think he'll be great. And uh, I actually, I like the idea of this trio in the booth. And it may help get ESPN back to competing with TNT on game nights because there is nothing, and I repeat, nothing that ESPN could really do right now 
that competes with uh, NBA Tonight, uh, NBA on TNT, basically, with the um, Shaq, Charles, Ernie Johnson, Kenny the Jetsmith. Like, you get all those guys on the panel, and it's, it's just great fun. And I love that. I think that, like, those guys are great, and the game of basketball deserves to be covered in the best possible way. I don't think that Jeff Van Gundy and Mark Jackson were doing that. I don't think that that tandem in particular was making the game more enjoyable for its viewers. And that's, you, you hear a lot of what they do. and Sometimes they take some joy in what they were doing. Sometimes they would acknowledge that. There's a lot of weird stuff that comes from it. And then the Jokic stuff with Mark Jackson was very weird as well. I was very shocked about that. Uh, with the voting stuff. More than anything, though, I think that this is a good step in the right direction for ESPN. I think that they're making the right call here. And I like the idea of this trio. Doris Burke is fantastic. She's my idol in the ESPN announcing space, basically. And Mike Breen is, I mean, there's nobody better from a color commentary standpoint. outside. Or, no, not color commentary, uh, like announcing standpoint. As opposed to uh, maybe instead of uh, Kevin Hart. Like he's the only other guy that could really compete. Uh, but Breen is fantastic. I do I really, really appreciate what he's brought. And I'm curious to see what Doc Rivers brings. Like he could be a very, very interesting perspective there. Um, I hope he uh, hope he's a little bit better than Stan Van Gundy when it comes to older coaches kind of coming into the booth. But I do think that he will be better. I, I think that there's there's something to that. So we will see. We will see what ultimately happens with this trio. But I think this is good for coverage. I actually do. And then uh, the last thing that I want to mention before we get out of here. I wrote an article today on MileHighSports.com that you should read. It is basically titled How Ball Handling Unlocked Nikola Jokic's Passing Defense. Uh, passing Genius. Is that what I said? I think that's what I said. It's really important to contextualize what Jokic does because I looked at the top 25 seasons as a passer from the center position, and I probably should have included power forwards as well, but you start getting into the LeBron Jameses and players like that and like players who are actually like big wings uh, that have since dropped down to different positions because like that's just where the game has gone now, uh, as opposed to true bigs. But among just centers, like in the basketball reference stat head database, the top 25 playmaking seasons in assists per game, Jokic has six of them. They're his, most, his six most recent seasons. And only 25 other, or only 19 other seasons have happened where a player has averaged at least five assists per game. And that's crazy. Like a, where a center has averaged five assists per game. That's, that's a crazy number. It's only happened 25 total times in NBA history. Jokic has six of them. Will Chamberlain has four. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar has three. And that's about it in terms of like repeat guys. Most everybody else is, okay, maybe there's a couple that have two, but most everybody else is just very random. It's very, very rare to see a center average that many assists. And Jokic has just been the pinnacle of that for obvious reasons. Like nobody here needs to know that. But what really separates Jokic from other bigs is his ability to dribble, his ability to handle, and his ability to pass on the move. You see a lot of comparisons to Jokic, uh, to guys like Arvidas Sabonis and Bill Walton and players like that, 
where you've got the big man passers that can see over the top of the defense. They make good reads. They make good passes off of cuts, things like that. That's great. Like, those guys, more power to them for being able to do what they do. But the difference between Jokic and those guys is very tangible. And it, it shows up in the total number of assists, but just the variety of the assists that Jokic actually puts up, where he is on the move, where he's running pick and roll for a teammate, where he is handling the ball on the fast break as like a point center. Like Everybody else's job is made easier because Jokic can do what he do. Jamal Murray doesn't always have to go collect the ball in the backcourt and, and walk the ball up the floor. Like He can just go out and run if he sees that Jokic collects the ball because Jokic will do all of the pushing of the fast break himself. And it's a little bit of an adventure sometimes when he does it. Like He's not perfect at it, but the fact that he can do it and does it at a really high level is really, really impressive, especially for somebody of this size where nobody's ever really done that before. Like, I can't think of any great examples except Kevin Garnett, who admittedly I probably should have put on the big man passer rankings. Like, Kevin Garnett deserves to be on there, as does a player like Chris Webber. Um, and I'm sure there are others at the power forward position that I'm forgetting. But Jokic as a passer and Jokic as a dribbler, that's what really, really separates him. He has the shooting touch, he has the, or he has the passing touch, he has the awareness he can execute from different angles he can do it with both hands like there's a lot that he does that he absolutely deserves uh, that title he deserves that title as the best playmaking big man in NBA history and he may be the best passer of this generation uh, LeBron isn't of this generation I would say he's of the previous generation where you've got basically 12 years that LeBron was in the league that Jokic wasn't so I think that it's fair to have Jokic in his prime kind of being representative of this of this generation. And I think that he absolutely deserves that credit. Now, his prime isn't over Jokic's, and we will see what it continues to look like, what he continues to add to his game, if anything. But I do think that it's the actual dribbling. It's the actual handling of the basketball that, have, that has really turned him from a great big man passer to the best ever at it. Uh, because nobody's ever done that before. Nobody really has pushed the break the way that he has with the style that he does. A lot of players will push the ball to score themselves because, especially for bigs, they may never get the ball back. So you'll have seen Shaq do that at times where he'll get the ball not knowing whether he's going to get the ball fed to him in the post or whatnot if somebody's if he's being double teamed. So he'll just dribble the ball up himself and he'll do what he can. Um Jokic is not really in that same vein, but he does bring the ball up. And the Nuggets have trusted him to do that. It took him a little bit to really hone that skill. But now it's it's just second nature. Like you don't even think about it as a Nuggets fan. Like Nobody, nobody even can, is concerned about Jokic handling the basketball because he is the only guy that could be full-court pressed by a guy like Bam Adebayo. And you wouldn't be worried about him collecting an eight-second violation, which is insane. That's an insane thing to say. So. I'm glad that we, like, I can cover this sport and bring a couple of different wrinkles to the way that a player like Jokic impacts the game. He does it in so many different ways, and there are so many different ways that you can talk about it. Uh, so this is kind of one of the ways that I want to talk about it, especially in the offseason where I don't really get an opportunity to hop on the nuances of things like this that often. So hopefully you enjoyed. I hope you read the article. It was really, really good. 
um, if I don't say so myself, because I am the greatest. Um, that's a joke. But I am probably going to wrap up here, folks. I think that is going to do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you're sticking around, I sorry about the beginning of the podcast. I think there are some problems connecting the YouTube and making it go live, but hopefully we got everything sorted out and hopefully it doesn't show up on the, the ultimate YouTube recording of this episode. I'm not really worried. We'll see what happens. But anyway, thank you so much. Let me know down in the comments below if you want to make your own point guard rankings, how you would change mine, things like that, where I'm wrong, what I'm doing incorrectly. Uh, but we'll just have to see. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. I appreciate all the love and support on the podcast, as always. Make sure to hit that like button on the way out. We'll talk to you guys on Wednesday. Bye.